Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. I want to invite you to go with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. God spoke this word to me while I was in a worship service a couple of weeks ago. And... Uh, when I was in Perth and I never preached from this passage before, but God just showed me like one, two, three, four things clearly. And uh, I didn't have any time to prepare it. So I just got up and preached it out of my spirit, out of the overflow. How many of us know sometimes that's the best way to minister? The more you overthink and overanalyze things, sometimes the worse it gets. Uh, but then... As I began to process it, the Lord really scripted something on my heart that I just want to deposit uh, to you tonight. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to read from verses 12 to 17. It's a story where Jesus cleanses the temple. Now, just be pre-warned, all right? Uh, parental guidance needed. Um, whenever there's a passage of scripture where Jesus comes in with a whip of cords, just need a heads up, it's going to be fairly intense, okay? So just buckle in. Everybody grab your seatbelt and just... Plug in, click in, okay? Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, and it says this, and Jesus entered the temple and he drove out. Everybody say drove out. All who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money, chained the, the money changes and the seats of those who sold Pigeons. Everybody say pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of thieves and robbers. Implying if we make God's house anything other than what his father's house is intended to be, we rob people of something. We steal something from people. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed their sick. He healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children that was crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry. They were upset. They were hostile. And they said to him, do you hear? what these are saying. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, of course I hear. Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Tonight, I wanna speak to you on the subject of pigeon religion. Pigeon religion. Do you know in the Florida Keys, there is a popular fishing island called Dove Key. And it's called Dove Key because turtle doves used to nest there. And so people would come from all over the place to the Florida Keys, to Dove Key, to fish and to witness and see the turtle doves that nested there on the island. But over the last couple of decades, pigeons have taken over Dove Key. Pigeons have taken over the island. And pigeons and doves look very much the same, but they are totally opposite in nature. You know, when it comes to Jesus, He's likened to a lion of the tribe of Judah. Our adversary, the devil, devil is also likened to a, a roaring lion that is prowling around looking for someone to devour. Both Jesus and Satan, Lucifer, have been likened to a lion, but they are of two opposite natures. One nature is to devour, the other nature is to deliver. Pigeons and doves, are of the same family, but their natures are completely opposite. Pigeons can be easily domesticated, 
manipulated and controlled, but not so a dove. You need to take much care, gentle care when it comes to a dove. And generally a dove will just fly off on you. In fact, doves are so uh, sensitive. Have you ever been at a funeral where they've released doves and it's a beautiful moment? Unfortunately, on social media, I saw a funeral where the dude was holding on to the dove for so long, the poor dove had a heart attack and he threw the dove up into the air and the dove just went up and fell back down again. True story. They're so sensitive, right? Poor thing had a heart attack, right? It's not a, not a good thing at a funeral when the dove who's supposed to represent life dies. <laughs> Pigeons are territorial. Pigeons will fight for their position. Pigeons are bullies, but not so a dove. A dove is not territorial. A dove won't fight for its position because a dove doesn't fight. Pigeons are known as pests and scavengers. I remember being in a particular city across the world and they were telling us about the problem with their pigeons at their government building because there was pigeon poo all over the government building and literally they would spend millions of dollars a year cleaning their government building because pigeons are known as pests, scavengers, but not doves. Doves are a symbol of peace. Pigeons tend to feed on the ground like scavengers do. But doves tend to feed in the air, high up in the trees. And it's interesting that in the Scriptures, the turtle dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was getting baptised in water, the Bible says the heavens were open and the Spirit descended like a dove and remained upon Jesus. If Jesus was going to carry the dove, the symbol of the Holy Spirit around with him, he had to live in such a way that he would live in a compatible, complementary way for the dove to continue to rest on him in his life. If there was anyone who knew the difference between a pigeon and a dove, it's Jesus. And so in Matthew 21, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem, the triumphant entry. People are waving palm branches, they're laying down blankets. They're declaring Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the Name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. He's coming in on a beast of burden, on a humble colt, on a humble donkey. And He comes into Jerusalem. And where does He go? He goes to His Father's house. And where is His Father's house? It's the temple. And when He enters the temple, he doesn't see any longer the ministry of the dove, but he sees that the temple has been overrun by pigeons. That people were now using God's house to peddle their business, to sell something that was robbing the people of their intimacy with Jesus, robbing the people of their intimacy with Father God. And our beloved Jesus, beautiful, meek and mild baby Jesus, all bowled up in that beautiful manger with that beautiful sort of, you know, uh, uh, covering and blanket on. Little baby Jesus that we sing about away in a manger. Little meek and mild Jesus. He goes and the Bible says He makes a whip of cords. Hello, somebody. That's your Jesus the Son of God that we've just been singing about. He goes and he, do you know how much, uh, how long it would take to make a whip of courts? He didn't walk in with a fly swatter and tap, tap, tap. No, he sits there and he starts to make a whip as he's looking at the pigeons and he's looking at the cows and he's looking at the sheep and he's looking at the people who have turned God's temple and the Father's house into something that was never intended. And he takes that whip and he doesn't hit anybody with it because that would be in violation of his own heavenly law. But he actually 
drives out with that whip, the form, the fragments, the functional things that were used to sell pigeon religion. The Bible says in verse 12, he he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers. He overturned the seats of those who sold pigeons. In the parallel passage in John chapter 2, verse 16, he says, and he told those specific in the Bible. The Bible mentions things, no accident. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Apparently, Jesus gets upset when we replace the ministry of the dove with pigeon religion in the local church. Is anybody awake here tonight? Because I'm telling you, we need to hear this message. Not another church down the road. Not another part of the body of Christ. Numa Church. City location. Every location needs to hear this message tonight. Because tragically, some ministries that used to have the dove nest with them have been overrun by pigeons. I go to a bunch of them. To be honest with you, I come to some services that are labelled revival services and I wonder where's the dove tonight? Where's the dove? Because once you've felt the weight of the dove flap in and sit amongst us and abide in us, you know the difference between the weightiness of His presence and the weight of pigeons. It's true. And there's something rising up in my heart as the spiritual father of this church, as someone who is jealous for the house of God, someone who is jealous for the Father's house, where metaphorically tonight, we need to make a whip of cords and we need to drive out pigeon religion from our church. We need to drive out pigeon religion from our lives. We need to drive out pigeon religion. We need to know how to do that. You know, a week before the outpouring here, late August last year, the Holy Spirit said to me, not everything my church is doing, I am in. One of the scariest concepts, ideas that we need to wrap our head around is that we can actually do a whole lot of good activity, ministry activity, ministry things, and God might not be in any of it. I'm conscious of it all the time. So sensitive to the Spirit that I want to be so guarded about what it is that I'm doing. The Bible says in John 5, 19, and Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is our pattern. Jesus is our example. Pastor Simone this morning preached a brilliant message on an unshakable kingdom, but the emphasis was Jesus, 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 all the way through it. And we say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Are we really or are we following church trends? Are we really or are we following our feelings? Seriously, because John 5, 19, Jesus said the Son can do only what He sees the Father doing. To be a follower of Jesus means you actually follow Jesus. How do you do that? By His Spirit and through His Word. Don't call, please, do not call yourself a follower of Jesus if you're not willing to follow Him. It's inauthentic, it lacks integrity. Please don't do that. Because it's, it sells false, it's false advertising to the world. And our world has had a gut form of false advertising. Don't you hate it when those people try and sell you stuff on social media? When they ring you the incessant phone call with an accent you cannot understand? And it's over and over and over again. And they try to sell you things. That, that, you know, it's just false advertising. Ever bought something, it's just false advertising? It lasts two minutes and you spend a lot of money for it. You're like, what the heck is this? This isn't quality. Well, if we say we follow Jesus, we really have to follow Jesus. 
Otherwise, let's pack our bags and go home. Because I am not interested in, in leading a church or being part of a church that is not absolutely sold out to making sure the Father's house stays the Father's house. Seriously, I've got better things to do. I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I guarantee I'm the hungriest person in this room. Guarantee it. So hungry for God. I'm so thirsty for His presence. I'm jealous for Him. I'm prepared to do whatever. Prepared to do whatever. Because I made a decision long ago, I'm selling out. You know, I was talking to a, a man of God this week in Queensland. I was ministering in Queensland and he attended Catherine Coleman's services back 40, 50 years ago. And he was telling me how he went to Catherine Coleman's manager and handler at the end of one of the crusades, one of the events. And he said, what's the secret about Catherine Coleman? Why so many people here? Why every time the services are packed out, what is it about? Is it her prayer life? And the handler said, no. She prays normally like most other sort of, you know, spiritual leaders and people who are hungry for God. And is it her word life? No, she reads her Bible and studies it like most people do. Then what is it? And the handler looked at this young man of God who, who, who 40 years ago was in a meeting and said, oh, I guess... It's Catherine Coleman has learned how to be completely yielded to the Holy Spirit. It's your yieldedness that determines your fruitfulness. It's how abandoned you are, how sold out you are, what you're willing to sacrifice. There are lots of people who have desire and vision for God to do things in their life, but there's no correlation of sacrifice. There's no commensurate sacrifice. So put yourself out of your misery and don't wish for things if you're not willing to sacrifice for it. Don't put yourself through the torment and pain of wanting something that when it really push comes to shove, You'd prefer pigeons and the dove. Is he speaking to anyone tonight? The Lord said to me, he said, a week before this outpouring, I'm only going to go where I'm hungered for, I'm sought after, and I'm sacrificed for. I've preached all over the world. And let me tell you something, just because a building has a church name on the front door doesn't mean the dove lives there. No, it could be overrun by pigeons. The Bible said the Apostle Paul had a revelation, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, that in the last days, how many of us know we're in the last days? Whether Jesus is coming back tomorrow, next year, a decade or a hundred years, we're still in the last days. We're in the last of the last days because that was 2,000 years ago. He saw this prophetic prediction. How many of us know we could be in the last days? And he said, in the last days, people talking about believers now will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. So they'll look like a dove, but in fact, they'll be pigeons. They'll look like they've got the substance. They'll look like they're carrying it because the external garb looks like it. But when it comes to actually shifting something in the spirit, they have the form and not the power. Pigeon religion is a form of godliness. It's not the power. What is pigeon religion? Pigeon religion is music without anointing. How many know you can listen to something on, you know, um, iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and it'd be completely perfect musically, but there's no anointing on it. You can go to a concert. I've been to many concerts where people who are talented spent a decade in a room um, uh, perfecting their craft, and you can admire it and appreciate it, but there's no anointing on it. There's no person and power of the Holy Spirit on it. 
You know what I love so much about tonight? It wasn't just music, it was anointed. There was a weight of God's presence here. What's pigeon religion? Pigeon religion is worship without intimacy. It, it's, it, it sickens God when Christians who should know better turn up to the same service and with their hands in their pockets and they just look around at the show. And the worship's happening, but there's no intimacy. It's when preachers are checking their social media posts before they get up and they're checking their phone. Then they get on the platform and it's all Holy Ghost then. But what about when we're worshipping? What's pigeon religion? It's preaching without revelation. It's information without impartation. It's saying a bunch of things, but there's no weight. You see, I feel the weight of heaven in this room tonight. There's no weight. There's no hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. What's pigeon religion? It's meetings without presence. Christians love meetings. We love meetings. Oh, we love it. Particularly revival services, we love it. But if we just have meetings and no presence, there's, what's the point? Pigeon religion is passion without wisdom. I praise God for passion. I thank God for youthfulness and, 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 and passion that, that sort of, you know, breaks open our understanding of of atmospheres and pressing in. But here's the deal. It doesn't say by passion, God builds a house. It says by wisdom. And passion's a good start. It'll get you through the front door, but it's got to have some wisdom added to it. I mean, a lot of passionate young believers can't cast out a demon out of a sock. Seriously. I meet a lot of passionate believers that can't hear from God. Now, I applaud the passion. It's amazing. But guys, we have got to grow into maturity. We're going to move far past the infancy of just passion. And we're going to take that passion and we're going to grow into the fullness and measure and stature of Jesus Christ. There comes a point where the preaching, the teaching, the messages, the prayers, the intercessions, the team advances, the equipping, the school of the Spirit must take us into a greater dimension, a greater measure. What's pigeon religion? Pigeon religion is busyness without prayerfulness. If you are so busy that you've got no time to pray, you need to repent tonight. You really do. And of all the people that probably need to repent, it's the pastors and leaders that are in the room. Because you're so busy doing the work of the ministry, you've forgotten what this is all for and who this is for. What's pigeon religion? Pigeon religion is smoke without fire. And someone once said, when you've been birthed in fire, smoke will never do. We don't just want the lingering embers or the, the smell of smoke. No, I've got to live in that consuming fire. Simone talked about it this morning. He is a consuming fire. I need my heart cleansed and I need my heart purged every single day. God, I want to live in that fire. We sang it earlier, let the fire fall. Let the wind blow. There is something about the fire of God that has got to shake us to the core. I'm telling you, we're living in a day and we're living in an hour where we can't just play cute Christianity. I'm telling you, I sit on influential boards that affect 
affect hundreds of thousands of people in our movement. And I find out what's happening behind the scenes in politics and in government. And let me tell you what's coming down the pipeline in the coming years in our nation is gonna take more than just turning up to services. We're gonna need to know who our God is. We're gonna need to be strong and we're gonna need to do mighty exploits because I'm telling you, politics isn't gonna change this nation. The government is not gonna change this nation. It's the church of Jesus Christ that understands the difference between pigeon, religion and the ministry of the dove. It's gonna take more. We need to be unsettled. We need to be shook up. We need to be confronted. We need to be challenged because the default of our flesh is to retreat to apathy and complacency. I wanna tell you, church, what we've tasted is beautiful. But if we just look back and say, oh, wasn't that great for them? But we don't understand. There's always more in God. There's always more in God. And if you don't want the more, then maybe this isn't the church for you. Seriously, I'm hungry for more. I'm not content for the scraps. Praise God for the Syrophoenician woman. God bless her. I got more faith than that. I want more. I want more than the scraps. Too much has been promised. Too much has been prophesied. Too much has been declared. We were told we were gonna get the whole block. Where is it? No, 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 I'm gonna contend for what God said we could have. I'm gonna contend for the greater works. And if you don't rise up in your spirit and recognise pigeon religion could be knocking on your door, invading your prayer space, invading your worship space, you could miss the dove because it just fly away. You see, the, th- the, the thing about passion for God's presence is it'll always expose pigeon religion. Yeah. Bible says in John 2.17, Jesus' disciples remembered that it was written in the Psalms, zeal for your house will consume me. Yeah. Jesus' zeal for His Father's house overturned the seats of those who sold the pigeons. This is what I've discovered A hunger for Jesus will always expose a lack of hunger for Jesus in others. I had someone come to me this morning and said, oh, you're not getting too carried away by this revival thing, are you? Oh, that's like a red rag to a bull, man. I'm just trying to keep my blood pressure down as I repeat that. I had someone come up to me this morning at the end of the service and says, oh, there's a lovely spirit here, isn't there? Oh, a lovely spirit. Jesus died for more than the church to have a lovely spirit. Yeah, yeah. No, no, he, he, he died and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If we're getting people coming here saying, you're not getting too carried away about revivals, are you? And gee, there's a lovely spirit here. Pigeon religion could have got into the building. And we're going after it tonight. Never let your lack become the measuring stick for someone else's experience of God. Because this is what happened in this passage. The chief priests and the scribes were indignant at childlike faith that was waving palm branches on blankets and saying, Hosanna in the highest. They were upset that there were people demonstrating their expression of worship and praise towards Jesus. You know, the religious spirit will always attack childlike faith. But it's only childlike faith that can access the kingdom of God. And if you've ever been offended by God moving in someone's life because of their hunger and their outward demonstration, maybe God's trying to reveal the complacency and apathy in your heart. Because God will often move in ways that offend our minds to reveal the lack of hunger in our hearts. 
I watched my 59-year-old mother pass away and over six weeks, I saw the first sign of impending death is she lost her hunger. The first sign of complacent Christianity, a pigeon religion church, and believers that are self-satisfied and not hungry for the presence of God is they lose their hunger and their passion for His presence. Prayerlessness stops bothering them. They begin to tolerate and justify secret sin. They begin to excuse themselves from going to prayer power meetings and to being in that secret place with God because now apparently they can do this on their own. This is why... I love everybody like Jesus did, but I never listened to a complacent believer tell me what God is or isn't doing in the earth today. I wanna be honest, it's embarrassing to have some Christians critique revival in Asbury as if they own the market share on revival. It's embarrassing. And the danger of social media is that social media has given every person with a ridiculous opinion, a soapbox to air their perspective to the world that albeit ignorant and uninformed. And people, even in our own church, let alone in the wider body, embarrass themselves when they think that because they own the market share on what God is doing or not doing today, they critique and evaluate the move of God. Let me tell you something. God never asked you to evaluate Him. God asked you to experience Him. This is one of the things that's got to get broken off your life. This armchair expert evaluation of this and that. And if you just open up your heart and let yourself go and jump in the deep end with childlike faith, you're too busy experiencing Him to worry about evaluating Him. God, deliver us from that critical, critiquing, evaluating, armchair expert spirit that's in our generation. I frankly don't give a flying rat's left nostril what somebody thinks about what God's doing in this place. I say, I will be like David, even more undignified. I will be even more undignified. I will be even more undignified. I say, open up the gates and let the King of Glory in. Open up double barrels and let all of the doves just fly in. You say, where is that in the Bible? Oh, easy. John 21. When Jesus had just revealed to Peter what kind of death he was going to die. Peter looks at John because when God speaks to you about His will, often now we use God's will to critique someone else's God's will for their lives. And Peter looks at John and says, "Ah, well, what about him? This is Jesus' response. He says, if it's my will that John remains until I come, what is that to you? This is what he said. The Bible is like stand-up comedy. He goes, Peter... You got your eyes on the wrong thing. You follow me. In other words, don't concern yourself with what God wills for someone else's life. Don't concern yourself with what God's doing, someone else's ministry. Get your eyes back on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And what did Jesus do after He overturned the seats of those who sold the pigeons? He restored the altar of prayer back at the centre of temple worship. If you listen to most 99% of my messages, I come back to exactly the same thing. Because I've had a revelation. My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Oh, Jesus, burn this into our heart. How many of us know Jesus said, it's my house. I'm jealous for his house. And so it's not our house, it's his house. So we've got no permission to change what the Father's house is for. Colossians 1.18, it says, Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. 
You know, if Jesus is the head, we don't get to build the church after our image. Only God's. Jesus said, my father's house is a house of prayer for all nations. And tragically, the modern church has made the father's house everything but a house of prayer. And I've got authority to speak to this. One, because God's given me authority in this house to speak to things like this. But secondly, because I get invited to go right across the body of Christ and I see the whole gamut of things. And this is what we've done. We've turned the local church into a community centre, a charity, a leadership factory, a music business, a company and a school. And we're so busy doing all this other stuff, which is not bad. They're all good things. It's just not what his father's house is ultimately for. My father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. We're going to stop treating church like it's our family business where we can turn it into anything we think it should be. In Acts 2.42, the Bible says that the early church devoted themselves just to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And if there's one thing I feel such a burning conviction in my heart, the Holy Spirit is doing in this hour, He's calling us to restore the altar of prayer at the centre of the local church. I tell you, my, my heart's grieving the amount of people that we used to have come to the upper room six months ago, that now we just have a trickle. We have staff that are called to be a part of an upper room prayer meeting to go into a weekend and one shows up. I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we'll get overrun by pigeons. Because when a church doesn't have prayer at the centre, it gets overrun by pigeon religion. You know, we're we're so prayerless as a generation that we've actually got to teach and disciple a new generation how to pray. We've got more biblical resources than ever before and yet we have more people ignorant of the truth of God's Word than ever before. Why am I preaching like this? Because you can't preach a message on a passage called Jesus cleanses the temple and not in the spirit make a whip of cords and say, God, cleanse my heart. Cleanse this house of pigeon religion. What happens when the altar of prayer is restored? It's so beautiful. When Jesus cleanses, He drives out all the, those who sell the pigeons. By the way, He loved them, but he would, they were misusing God's house for something else. You can love people and still say, no, we can't, we're not tolerating that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does Jesus do after He restores prayer at the centre of the Father's house? Broken people get drawn to His presence. The Bible says in verse 14, and the blind and the lame, oh, I love it. They came to Him in the temple. Let this house be a house for the blind and the lame. (laughs) It's time we got some more blind and lame people in here. God, give me some blind and lame people. Thank You, O God, for those who, Lord, can see Lord, but I'm asking that You would send us to the blind and the lame and that they would come to You in the temple of our hearts. It wasn't until after prayer was restored that the broken encountered His presence. Now, I I think it's good, you know, we have an evangelist, we have an evangelistic ministry, but for all of our emphasis on getting outside the four walls of the church, we better make sure we've got some presence to take to the people. You know, I was in a pharmacy in Perth, the city of Perth, two weeks ago. I literally walked out of a revival service that went for three hours in our Numa Perth West location. And five minutes later, I was driven to a pharmacy. I was not well. 
and I'd received prayer and I believed in faith for healing, but I also believe in being wise. So I pray for healing and I go to the pharmacy as well. Thank you, Jesus. And so I go into the pharmacy, literally I walk up into the counter and there is this dude standing next to me who looks me, looks at me up and down and literally out of his mouth, he says this, I've only got three months to live. I'm over here and I look at him and I'm looking around like, what the heck? I've only got three months to live. And I walked over to him. By the way, if you're just wanting to know an evangelistic tip, that is the epitome of an easy layup. Just break through and... That's like cherry picking, here you go. If you can't seize that moment, baby, you can't seize a moment. It doesn't get any easier. And so I, I go, thank you, Jesus. So I, I walk over and I say, bro, tell me what's going on. And he tells me that he's uh, in fourth stage of bowel cancer. And he's here getting his medications in the last months of his life. Straight away, I felt the God all over me. I said, do you believe in Jesus? He looked at me and said, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I said, now would be a pretty good time. I said, because I've just come from a service where we saw people's backs healed and we saw people's legs healed. And I've been praying for hundreds of people the last six months and they've been getting healed. Blind eyes are opening, cancer patients are getting healed. Would you be okay if I prayed with you because I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe that Jesus loves you and He can heal you? Would you believe with me right there in the pharmacy? He's like, I think I'd like that. And so right there, the pharmacy comes up to service and I'm like, I take authority over this cancer in Jesus' Name. All of a sudden, the pharmacy started to fill up with people and I had my own congregation to preach to. And I thank you, Jesus, you're invading this man's life right now. And I command from the head, head of his, uh, top of his head down to the soles of his feet for your spirit to pass through his body and for him to be totally healed in Jesus' Name. And we prayed and I said, hey, how about you keep on praying? I'm gonna lead you in a little prayer. How about we ask Jesus to come into your heart? I think I'd like that. Okay, in Jesus' Name. Right there on the spot. This dude, not only gets prayed for, but he gets filled with the Spirit of God and he comes to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. For all of our rhetoric about getting outside the four walls of the church, what are you going to take when you go? Because a lot of us at times, not in a condemning way, not in a shaming way, but in a challenging, good challenging way. We're like the disciples when the father in Mark 9 brings his tormented boy and wants us to minister healing to the boy. But because we haven't spent time in the secret place, we haven't restored the altar of prayer at the centre of our lives, we've got no oil to give. And the father gets, he's, he's desperate. People are desperate for God to touch them and minister to them. And God can do anything and go anywhere and be anything. He's omniscient, He's omnipotent, He's all powerful, He's everywhere present, but He wants to use you. He wants to use me. We are the body of Christ. Where His eyes, where His hands, where His feet, where His patellas, where His scapulars, where His mouthpiece, where His heart, where His body. If we don't carry oil, if we don't grow in prayer, we're not gonna have any presence to give away. And Jesus comes down from the Mount Transfiguration Conference and He's like, what the chaos has broken out. The kids are up to no good again. What's going on? Your disciples, your followers couldn't minister freedom to my son. And there's a world that looks at the church and says, stop telling us what you're against. Can you minister freedom and healing to my son, to my daughter, 
Stop telling us and voting for all the things that you're against. I wanna know what are you for? What are you for? I don't want someone to walk away unchanged. I want them to encounter Him. Jesus came and said, Oh, you of little faith. Which if all you need is a mustard seed, it means I had less faith than a mustard seed. And Jesus ministers to the boy and in the back green room, away from the crowd and the spotlights, they're like, Jesus, uh, why the lack? Why couldn't we cast the demon out of the boy and said, oh, there are some problems, there are some demons, there are some things that will only be driven out by prayer. Which means they needed more time in His presence. Lord spoke to me this week and He said, Son, no one else is going to take responsibility for your intimacy with me. No one else is going to fight for it. No one else is going to just give you hours in the day. Hey, would you like to spend, imagine if your boss came to you and said, would you like to spend three hours of your work time with Jesus? You'd be like, stagger me. Wow, you mean you're going to pay me? Your boss is not going to do that, man. Maybe I will to my team, but your boss won't. Why? Because your boss wants you to do their work. And how we steward that work is a living witness of our faith in Jesus. No one else is going to be responsible except you for your intimacy and for your prayer life. God's sovereignty will never do for you what God's Spirit has commissioned your prayer life to do, your faith to do. Jesus said in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me, everybody say believe. Believe. Whoever believes in me will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. It doesn't say whoever attends church, attending church is a good start. Awesome, great start. But you don't get a reward in heaven because you attended church. Please. If you think that you earn something with God because you attended tonight, you're living by works, not by faith. Whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever has faith, whoever believes will do even greater Who do the greater works go to? Whoever believes. How do you build your faith? Prayer and Word. Prayer and Word. Prayer and Word. Prayer and Word. Step out in faith. Prayer and Word. Be obedient. Prayer and faith. And you never graduate until you stand before Him and say, thank you, I'm spending all eternity with you. You never graduate. There's never a day that you don't need prayer and word, prayer and word, prayer and word. There's never a day you don't need to hear. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. There's never a day. And when we encounter God's presence, here's the deal. This is why I'm so jealous about guarding and hosting the presence of God here. It leads to a manifestation of the power of God. The Bible says the blind, the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So prayer was restored. The pigeons were sent out. The blind and the lame and the broken came to the presence and power healed them. You know, a powerless church presents to the world an inferior view of who King Jesus is. And we've got to, hear me, We've got to restore the altar of prayer back at the centre of our lives. Which means this, when it gets to 10 o'clock at night and you're tempted to keep watching Netflix and sleeping again in the morning, you turn Netflix off. Yeah. 
and you either go into your time with the Lord and you say, God, meet with me tonight. Or you go to bed and you wake up early and you say, God, meet with me this morning. You switch it off. Someone, I need a phone. Particularly one that's prepared to be destroyed. Don't you love this? Thank you. Thank you, Hickey. Thank you, Hickey. We've got to wage warfare against this. Seriously. Do you realise what this is doing to you? Do I have your attention? I love you. Seriously, I love you so much. And I know I'm going hard tonight, but it is Jesus cleansing the temple. And a basic rule of preaching is you conform to the tone of the text. It's 101. There's something called sin crouching at your door. It's your phone. And this is a portal. This is a gateway. This is a doorway into all manner of vices. You, you cannot let this become your master. You're going to make sure it's your slave. You're going to take authority over it. You're going to switch it off. You've got to put on flight mode when you're in the presence of the Lord because distractions are going to come. And you need to know that your intimacy with Jesus is an assignment from Satan. And it's amazing what will come. I am amazed at what comes my way even at five or six in the morning when I'm spending time with Jesus. This thing pinging and ponging and all, all this. It's crazy, man. Flight mode. Or better yet, switch it off and make your own music. But I need my worship music. No, you don't. Just lift your voice. Just lift your voice. Lift your hands. Get your own harp out. Start plucking. This thing has seen more young men and older men get addicted to pornography. We need to wage war against it. I feel God all over this tonight, I'm telling you. Because you can, you used to have to suffer the shame, the condemnation of going into a news agency or a 7-Eleven to buy it off the rack. Now it's just right there in front of you. This device can become the portal for gossip. Have you heard? What was that person on tonight? What was that preacher on tonight? Exactly. And, and this becomes a tool for sin. It distracts you. Stan. Optus Sport. What are some other? KO. Apple TV. It's not designed to help you in your relationship with Jesus. In fact, you talk to the CEO of Netflix. His sole purpose is to actually steal sleep from you at night. He's been quoted as saying that. Am I getting all like old school holiness preachers saying you can't watch TV and you can't do... No, I'm saying freedom is a responsibility. And the Bible says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's not one time I had a dude come into my church, true story. His eye was all bloodshot and bulging out of his head. I said, what happened to your eye? He said, well, the Bible says if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. So I got a bread knife and I started to yank that thing out. True story. Please don't do that if you belong to Newman Church or come to a revival service. But the principle, he's not talking about that in the natural. He's saying the principle is whatever it is, that is causing you to deviate off course and to 
enter into sin, cut it off. Got to get rid of it. For those of you who have friends and those friends give you benefits, you need to repent of that tonight. For those of you who spend so much time trying to get approval from your special someone, you've got no time to be intimate with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You've got to get that relationship in its rightful place. The Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God is jealous for this house. This house has not survived or lasted 98 years because of pigeon religion. It's because we keep sending the pigeons out. You know, a father walked up to me. I found this out two Fridays ago. He told me, I walked up to you back in 2017 with tears in my eyes and a jacket. And I said, would you pray for my daughter? My daughter is just being diagnosed with a cancerous tumour. He said, my daughter refuses to come to church, but would you anoint this jacket and lay hands on it and pray over it? I'm going to go give this jacket to my daughter because I believe that she can be healed. And I prayed and we anointed that with oil. And he told me, I didn't know. He told me on Friday, Friday, two Friday nights ago, he said, I went and gave the jacket to my daughter. She didn't even wear it, wore it. She just touched it. And she went and got an MRI two days later, which was a normal checkup. The tumour was gone. The tumour was gone. Do you know what preceded Super Bowl Sunday before the waves of miracles outbreak of the Spirit and all that God has done over the last six months. You know what preceded it? Was a cry during COVID. God, will you not revive us again? And we were forced to. God, I don't want another COVID, but Lord, would you bring us to a place of wanting to be on our knees again? Will you not revive us again, oh God, that your people may rejoice in you? And see, unfortunately, we're caught between a rock and a hard place because we've tasted of the heavenly gift. And if you've tasted the heavenly gift, everything else is bitter. So even where there's a little inch away from an open heaven or something in our heart, something in my heart starts to grieve. I'm like, God, you've given me the responsibility to oversee your people. I'm going to have to give an account to you one day. I'm going to bring the people back to you and I can lead you to the water but I can't make you drink you have to drink you know I was thinking about pigeons you know the craziest thing this is a true story my wife and kids will tell you this wherever I go in the world I get swept by birds no it's true I don't know if it's my smell or what it is and I put on aftershave and antiperspirant and I don't know what it is I've been in the middle of the Czech woods at 4 a.m. in the morning because in summer over there, it gets dark at 11 and it's light at 4 a.m. And I was preaching at this festival and I'm running through the woods. Guess what chases me? A psychotic pigeon. <laughs> I've been in Mandra with dozens of people on the foreshore, been running in their joggers, Lorna Jane, and they're running and it's all cool and I'm there and two psychotic seagulls come from out in Antarctica and start dive bombing like kamikazes. And I have to run a kilometre inland for these birds to stop chasing me and I'm ducking and weaving. My wife and I will walk together and we'll hand in hand, we're joining. And who gets swooped? Me. Not her, me. And this one day I'd had it. I'm on my bike. And I'm riding down towards the basin and this albino pigeon starts chasing me. 
and it's got its eye. You know, it's one eye and it's looking at you and it's doing this. I'm riding along and it's doing this. It's coming out, coming in, coming in, and coming out, coming out. And I'm starting to swipe. So I, this went on for two kilometres and I was like, I'm done. I am. Anyway, anyone get to a point like, I am done. I've had a gutful. I'm not getting chased by an albino pigeon with one really weird eye. No way. You know what I did? Okay. He's, oh, okay. That's how you want to play. <laughs> I'm in Lycra. I'm a mammal. And, and I'm waving this arm around, screaming in Jesus' name. And the albino pigeon is just like coming in, tries to swoop me. I'm like, okay, that's it. So I turned my bike, started chasing that pigeon down. And, and now I'm, I'm swiping and yelling. I'm picking up my bike. I'm, guess what happened? I ran that pigeon out of town in Jesus' name. And I'm here to tell somebody tonight, pigeons are trying to invade your life. Pigeons are trying to swoop you. Pigeons are trying to take you out. Pigeons are trying to creep into the house of God. And tonight, we're gonna worship every pigeon out. We're gonna worship every pigeon out. And we're gonna say, Dove, you can come and dwell in me. Come on, somebody, stand to your feet. It's time for the ministry of the dove. It's time for us to come against pigeon religion. I can't stand it. I declare war against pigeon religion in Jesus' Name. Apathy, complacency. You have no place here. You have no right here. You have. You are no longer welcome here. Come on, somebody, begin to serve pigeon religion notice. If you've allowed pigeons into your spirit, pigeons into your house, pigeons into your life, pigeons into your campus, pigeons into your ministry, it's time to send them out in Jesus' Name. It's the ministry of the dove. You can't live without the dove. You need the dove. We need the dove. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He means apart from my spirit, you can't do anything. Oh God, deliver us, deliver the church, Father. A pigeon religion, Lord, your heart's breaking. Your heart is breaking for your bride. When we think we've worked it all out, bought the T-shirt, we know how this works. And we don't, Lord, we're like the chief priests and the scribes. We critique and we evaluate because of our hard hearts. God, I'm asking tonight, restore a passion for the dove in the house. Restore this house to be a house of prayer. We have 24-7 prayer. You need to get on that roster one hour a week. We have upper room prayer. You need to get to one hour even of an upper room prayer meeting once a week. We have prayer power meetings. You need to get off your sofa and off Netflix and you need to come and you need to pray. You need to get your Bible out again. You need to seek God again. The Bible says in the last days, people will leave their first love. The love of many will grow cold. Don't let your love grow cold. I'm I'm here to to be like a stoker of the fire of your heart. I'm I'm here to, to prod you and provoke you and call you and compel you. I'm here to speak the truth in love to you, to come on, come on, come back to your first love. If you say, God, I'm hungry for you tonight. God, would you restore prayer back at the altar of your church, back at the altar of my heart. I want to invite you to get out from where you are and to come in the aisle, in the front and in the altar and pour your heart out to the Lord wherever you are right now. Just come and say, Lord, restore prayer at the altar of my heart. Restore the ministry of the dove at the altar of my heart. Restore the ministry of the dove at the altar of my heart. Restore the ministry of the dove at the altar of my heart. Restore the ministry of the dove at the altar of my heart. You know, some of you, it's okay if you're crowded. Some of you, maybe you need to get right to the corners. And Just those of you at the front, push right forward. Even if you're on the ground right now, push right forward. Let more people in. Let more people in. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. God, just begin to cry out to Him. Restore the altar of prayer in my heart. Restore intimacy in my heart. 
Restore my heart. Restore me. Restore me. God, forgive us. God, we repent, oh God, of our distraction. We repent of our immature excuses. We repent, oh God. We repent, oh God. We change our thinking. We change our minds, oh God. Come and renew our hearts tonight. Come and renew our minds, oh God. Let the weight of heaven come in this room. Let the oil of heaven come in this room tonight. God, we chase the pigeons out in Jesus' name. I command every religious spirit to get out of this church in Jesus' name. To get out of our lives in Jesus' name. Every controlling Jezebel spirit be gone in Jesus' name. Come against the political spirit. Get out of this church in Jesus' name. You have no authority in this house. You have no authority in our lives. We wage war against a spirit of complacency and apathy. We wage war against pigeon religion, oh God. Lord, I'm asking, deliver us. Deliver us. Jesus. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platform.